Psalm 34 is where we find ourselves this morning, uh, continuing our series, Our Stories. Uh, and, and this morning, one, it's good to be back with you. Um, just so you know, uh, yes, I was gone last week, but I preached somewhere else. So I got a lot of the angst out of me that I, lots of things I had to say. Uh, so I won't go extra long today. It'll, it'll be fun. Um, we are continuing our stories, but over the last couple weeks, today and then next week, we're just going to be in the Psalms and we're going to look at uh, the story of God. Um, and so this morning, Psalm 34, we find ourselves um, another Psalm of David. And David is recounting some of the story that God has been writing in his own heart. Some of the experience that King David has had, and we know some of his experiences, right? We know that he was anointed uh, as the next king of Israel at a young age, even while another king was on the throne. We know that after that, the king who was still on the throne chased King David and tried to kill him several times uh, to where David found himself in desperate moments, hiding in caves, trying to seek refuge, fearing for his life. We know that during that time, David had a very close relationship, uh, one that was even described as being knit together, uh, his best friend, Jonathan, who was the son of the king that was trying to kill David. But what doesn't get talked about often, at least in connection, is when David grows up and begins to transition out of the throne is that David has some sons and some other enemies who don't like him. And David wasn't perfect. He struggled with attitudes towards those people. And even in this particular psalm, you may even have this heading above this psalm that this is when David changed his behavior. And as you read along with me, you'll see why because of a particular experience that he's had. Look with me at Psalm 34, verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Let's pray and do just that. <clears throat> Father God, we come to you right now as we open the scriptures, Lord, as we seek to read and understand them. God, would, would we be found doing what the scriptures say, that we would be magnifying you. We would be exalting the name of our Lord and doing so in a way that honors and praises you for who you are. God, for all that you've done, not just in the lives of others that we read about in the scriptures, but God, in our own lives. God, will we be found praising you this morning, blessing your name. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Even in just these first three verses, there's four words that I, I want to draw our attention to that King David uses here. The first one is this, it's bless. 
He says, bless the Lord at all times. Now that's a, a weird phrasing if you just think on the surface level. How in the world can we as finite human beings created in the image and likeness of God, uh, serving a God who's created all, including ourselves, how can we bless the Lord? You see, we can think in uh, horizontal relationships. I can bless my neighbor, right? I can bless my family. I can bless someone that I don't even know that I just have found out that they're in need of something. I can bless them, right? But how can I, a sinful, fallen person, bless the Lord who has created me? Well, see, if you dig in just a little bit, You'll find that the word here that's translated blessed means to pronounce as holy. You see, blessing the Lord is calling the Lord holy, which he is. It's attributing holiness to him, which doesn't come from us. That because we pronounce God to be holy, now he's holy. No, God was holy before we called him holy. Which is why the scriptures tell us that in following our Lord, we're called to be holy as He is holy. That we're to be set apart, that we're found to be in uh, pure righteousness. So when David says, bless the Lord at all times, His praise shall continually be in my mouth. He's saying, I have to continue to call the Lord who He is, that He is holy. That he is God. That he is Lord. And then he goes on to say this, which is the second word that I want us to see. That my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. That he's boasting. Now oftentimes we talk about boasting being in a negative sense, right? That if we're boasting that we're actually in sin. Well, that's true if you're boasting about yourself. But boasting right here is speaking with pride that King David is boasting of the Lord, that he's the one who's worthy of praise. He's the one that I should be talking about all the time. And let the humble hear and be glad. Why? Because my soul makes its boast in the Lord. The third word, verse 3, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. In the first two verses, David says, here's what I'm doing, that I want to bless the Lord, that my soul makes its boast in the Lord. And then in verse three, he says, magnify the Lord with me. Don't let me be found as the only one doing this. I want you to do it with me. I want us to magnify the Lord together. That word magnify means to increase the apparent size. You see, many people have a small view of God. They have a small view of God because of things that they've heard, because of things that they've experienced. Let's be honest, most people have a small view of God because they've interacted with people who say they follow God. But David says, listen, I have met this God, I have met the Lord, and I want you to magnify Him with me. I want us to uh, increase who God is. Now listen, again, just because we're magnifying the Lord doesn't mean that He grows in size. 
right? God is God, whether we attribute that to him or not. But as followers of Jesus, we are called to magnify the Lord and do it together, collective voices magnifying the Lord that, that others who don't know the Lord would see and experience Him because His size in their eyes is growing because they hear us magnifying Him. And then David says, let us exalt his name together. Exalt. That we would praise him. That we would honor him. I think we can read those three verses, find those four words, and probably come to a consensus that, yeah, we should do that. Right? It's pretty simple. We should bless the Lord. We should boast of Him. We should magnify Him. And we should exalt Him. We should be found praising the Lord all the time, right? Anybody find that difficult to do today? Anybody find difficult moments over the last week to actually praise God because of things that are going on in your life? Has it been difficult to bless the Lord? Has it been difficult because of the things that are going on in your life to actually boast of him to others and speak of how great he is? Look at verse 4. David says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Listen, I read that verse and I say, God, can you do that for me? Like, Can you just answer my prayers and deliver me from all fear so that there is no fear that I'm ever going to encounter again? And then verse 5, he says, Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. David's talking about his experience. He's been fleeing for his life. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. Listen, I agree with you. It's difficult sometimes to praise the Lord. It's difficult sometimes to bless the Lord, to boast of how good he is because sometimes it doesn't feel like he's good in my life. But David writes these words that I think in principle can give us some confidence here that he cried out and the Lord heard him. You see, I believe that when we cry out to God, that he hears us. And then David says that God saved him out of all of his troubles. And now the angel of the Lord encamps around him and those who are fearing God and delivers them. I don't know what your circumstances are this morning, but what I can tell you confidently is that the Lord's presence is here. And that if you cry out to God, God will hear you. See, I, I think we need to heed David's words here that we need to bless 
the Lord. But maybe it's difficult for you to bless the Lord this morning because you haven't experienced the goodness of God. Look at verse 8. King David writes this. He says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. David had experienced the goodness of God. He had experienced the goodness of God in God rescuing him, saving him, and now he desired for others to experience the same thing. He's speaking to other people. He says, listen, I've experienced the goodness of God, and I want you, oh, to taste and see that the Lord is good. Here's the way David Platt says it. He says, what we need is not another explanation of the word and the world that puts more information into our heads. Listen, some of us actually think that the way to draw closer to God is to go to church more, to serve more, to listen to more sermons, to gain more knowledge. Maybe I need to go to seminary. I need to gain all of these things so that I have more intellectual knowledge. But what David Platt is saying is that we don't actually need more of that. What we need is an experience with the Word in the world that penetrates the recesses of our hearts. We need to, we need to dare to come face to face with desperate need in the world around us and ask God to do a work deep within us that we could never manufacture, manipulate, or make happen on our own. Some of us do really well at reading the Scriptures. Maybe even we have a desire in reading the Scriptures to dig deeper into the Scriptures. And you have amassed a library of resources to help you understand the Scriptures. That you can actually dig in and figure out what the original language is saying in those words. And that you gain all of this knowledge so that when you encounter someone who doesn't know the Scriptures, you can actually argue with them and probably walk out the winner from that argument. But dare I say that some of us are so in tune with that that we're not actually experiencing the relationship with the God who wrote those words. Church, showing up to a building more frequently does not grow your relationship with God. Listening to more worship music doesn't grow your relationship with God. What grows your relationship with God is intimacy with the God who made you. We can pack this room out. And we can teach the words of God. And we can lead people to believe the words of God. But until those individuals, until we ourselves experience and taste the goodness of God, nothing of lasting change 
will happen. You see, it's this take-home truth that I want you to take with you. It's that the sweet and savory taste of God's goodness compares to nothing. I've said this before. You've probably heard me say it. You'll hear me say it again. I believe that we need to recover the awe of the God who saved us. You see, if you're walking with Jesus, if you have a relationship with him, if he has saved you and changed your life, we can't forget that. Listen, I'm not talking about the moment, right? I'm not talking about the setting, the room that you were in, the people that were there, the date, the time, any of that. I'm talking about rediscovering the God who saved you. We can never lose that. Because I believe that the moment that we lose awe of the God who saved us, we start walking a path away from Him. Now we may be walking a path towards more biblical understanding. We may be walking a path towards more religiosity. We may be walking a path... Of uh, towards a greater service within the church, but we're walking away from the relationship with the God who saved us. The intimacy that is found only there. And when we're walking away, we start trying to find sweet and savory things that won't last. You all know that, right? You all know that. Adults, you know that today, if you bite into your favorite candy from your childhood, it's not going to taste as sweet and savory as it did when you were that age, right? Because we've been eating it so long that we've forgotten the first taste, right? Here's what I love, though, is that the God of the universe who created you who sent his only son to die on the cross in your place to save you. And the God who walks near to you today is far sweeter than any candy you would ever eat. Because he never changes. He never changes. King David had experienced the goodness of God. And he said, because he had experienced these things, he desired for others to taste and see that the Lord is good. And that the man who takes refuge in the Lord would be blessed. But then he says in verse 9, he says, Oh, fear the Lord, you saints, speaking to those who were following the Lord. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. King David says, I want you to, to understand and to learn what it means to fear the Lord. And then he says in verse 11, he says, I want to teach you to do that. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? He says in verse 13, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. 
Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. He says this is how you fear the Lord. That you would keep your tongue from evil. That your lips would stay away from speaking deceit. That you would actually turn away from evil and do good. That you would seek peace and you would pursue it. This is how you fear the Lord. You see, in in all of this, here's what I want us to to grab a hold of. King David had experienced the goodness of God and so desired for others to experience it that he would tell them about it. And he would go beyond that and say, I don't want to just tell you, I want to teach you, I want to show you what it means to fear the Lord. So now the personal question is, are we willing to do the same? If you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, are you telling others about it? Are you speaking truth to others? Not so that you can prove yourself right and them wrong, but are you speaking to others as if their only hope is in the Lord? And you're sharing that. You see, we can read verse 8 and And say these words, taste and see that the Lord is good. But then the question comes, how do we know? Like, how do we know that the Lord is good? Look at verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and His ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. How do we know that the Lord is good? Because his eyes are on us. He's watching. Not like in a creepy way, like, hey, I know what you did last summer. But he's watching because he cares. Not because he's looking for this next opportunity to make you feel bad for the next thing that you've done. He's not watching you so that he can tell you what you did wrong. He's watching us because he cares. And because he cares, he will correct us when we do wrong. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. Not only is he watching, but he's listening. The face of the Lord is near. Verse 17 says, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears. And not only does he hear, but then he acts. He delivers them out of all their troubles. How do we know the Lord is good? Because verse 18 says the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. How do we know that the Lord is good? Because many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. 
How do we know that God is good? Because He is God. It is one thing to say that God is good. It is a completely different thing to experience that God is good. Some of us this morning, maybe we need to rediscover that. You've trusted Jesus. You have been following him, but you've forgotten the sweet and savory taste of his goodness. Maybe that's your prayer this morning, is that God would remind you of that. Maybe for some of us, we've never experienced the goodness of God. We've never tasted the living water. We've never tasted the bread of life. You see, Jesus says that he is the bread of life, that those who come to him will never hunger again, that he's the living water, that if you drink from his cup, you'll never thirst again. You say, how is that possible? I took a drink of water three seconds ago and I'm thirsty again. Because it's everlasting. Listen, we are so focused, tunnel vision, on what's right in front of us, what's happening right now, that we want to experience it right now. But God is saying, you're going to experience this for eternity. This world will pass away. But when you taste and see that the Lord is good, you will experience that goodness for all of eternity. It will change your perspective in this life. But it will forever change your destiny for the next life. We need to taste and see that the Lord is good. Some of us, maybe we need to bless the Lord this morning. Maybe God has been showing up in different ways and you just haven't thanked Him for that. You haven't focused in on realizing the things that God has been providing you because you're focused on other things. I love verse 22 and how David closes this psalm. He says this. He said, The Lord redeems the life of His servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Once you taste and see that the Lord is good, there is nothing that will ever give that satisfaction again. There is nothing that will change that. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. And those who take refuge in him None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned.